When um, Lauren mentioned you're looking forward to hearing what will be spoken today, and uh, I must admit that this passage in John 17 has been, I've kind of struggled over it. Um, And it may well be that this needs to be spoken into again by someone that can um, take a different approach or do it better than I can. I I went through the normal things, what is a priest, a high priest, and to take that particular train, but I just couldn't get any life in it as far as I was concerned. So you'll just have to receive what I felt to say today. But Lauren, feel free if you or someone else wants to speak into this passage in the future. By all means, please do that. So let's turn to John 17. John 17. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. Um, and... Six times in this prayer, in this chapter, we see the word Father. Jesus is praying to the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. I have a dear friend in the ministry. We've worked together for many years now. We connect usually once or more a year. And um, just a great guy. But when he prays, it's usually God, uh, Lord God. That's the typical way in which he begins his prayers, Lord God. And he's a God-fearing man. He's in full-time ministry. Um, God's using him significantly. But I rarely hear him say, Father. And when I hear people praying like that, I just wonder if there's a lack of a relationship or knowing or revelation of knowing God as Father. So here we see Jesus is praying. And um, Mark 14.36, Jesus was facing the cross. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not your will, but not my, but not what I will, but what you will. Some of you would have known uh, James Lunny, the former um, Member of Parliament for our area. He was for many, many years in Ottawa. He and his wife now live in Ottawa. Um, But whenever James would pray, he would always just pray, Abba, Abba Father. He would never say, Dear Heavenly Father, and use the usual words that we would use. Obviously, he's had a revelation of God as Father. So when he begins his prayer, it's always Abba, Abba Father. So when I hear people that don't use the word Father, I just wonder sometimes if they have a revelation, understanding of their relationship to God as a Father. You follow what I'm saying? It's not to criticize anyone that doesn't say Abba Father or uh, Dear Father in Heaven. But really, if we want to look at it, um, the Bible teaches us we come to the Father in the name of Jesus through access by the Holy Spirit. We come to the Father through Jesus Christ, through the access given us by the Spirit of God. Anyway, I'm not trying to be legalistic in what I say. 
Uh, Romans 8.15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And uh, that word Abba is of Chaldean origin. It's a term borrowed from childhood language. It's um, a servant would never call their master Abba. (laughs) No, no, this is just a personal uh, term just for children, small children to relate to their earthly daddy, you know. And so we have that privilege of relating to God, Almighty God, the Lord God, as our Heavenly Father. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. I remember being on a YWAM base once in Holland, <coughs> and uh, we administered to uh, one of the one of the team, uh, not one of the team, one of the students there. She was probably middle aged, and I was just going for a walk through the trees around the base, and there she was sitting on a, on a tree stump, and she was just overwhelmed. She told me just overwhelmed with a revelation of God as her father. She'd never had that before because of her background. So there she is out in the bush there among the trees and just spending time with God, relating to him as her heavenly father. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So in these first few verses, the question comes, do we have a relationship with God or are we involved in just religion? And... um, Religion, it's just a practice of religious beliefs or ritual observance of faith. And uh, we can think some denominations where there's so much uh, ritual, but you know, as evangelicals, we can have our rituals too. You follow what I'm saying? And we can even point the finger at others. We're not like that. And yet in our own realm, we can also have rituals that we go through. And But God, of course, is wanting to draw us into a relationship. And here is Jesus, uh, the eternal Son of the Father, in a relationship both with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we think of someone giving us a gift, we don't just tuck it in our pocket. We don't just pray a sinner's prayer and it was like a little gift we put in our back pocket. What is eternal life? Oh, I received the gift of eternal life. What's here in my back pocket? Eternal life, according to what Jesus is saying and praying, is to know the Father and to know the Son. So it's all about relationship, isn't it? Relationship, relationship, relationship. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 14, the world has hated them because they are of the, not of the world. Um, I read a definition of the world. It's, there are many, many definitions that we could have of the world that would be very good definitions. But this is a definition I wrote for this book um, called To Conquer. Now the word world, cosmos, which is used in this passage 14 times, um, speaks um, of orderly arrangement and by implication the earth including its inhabitants. This is from importance. But I've added this. The world can be defined as that mass of the world's population who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects the God of the Bible and so excludes him from their whole approach to daily life. Rather than say, well, this is the world, if you do this or you say this, that's worldly, I've tried to get a 
an all-encompassing definition of the world. It's that mass of the world's population, which is the largest portion of the population, who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects God, the God of the Bible, and so excludes him from their whole approach to daily life. And as we exclude God, we're living according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Um, we are worldly people. Now, we are of this world, of course, all of us. We're in the world, but not to be embracing the world system. So, it's that mass of the world's population who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects the God of the Bible and so excludes him from their whole approach to daily life. And verse 15 of this passage, Jesus said, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Uh, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 17. Uh, Verse 26. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in him. So three questions have come to my mind as I've read this passage through many, many times over the last couple of weeks. What is eternal life? What is the world? And what is God's ultimate purpose? What is eternal life? What is the world? What is God's ultimate purpose? Eternal. The dictionary says, uh, without beginning or ending, lasting forever, always existing as opposed to temporary. Well, here's a definition uh, from Foundational Truths by Derek Prince talking about eternity. Many people are confused by this word eternity. They commonly tend to think of eternity as being merely an immensely long period of time beyond the power of the human mind to conceive. However, this is not correct. Eternity is not merely the endless extension of time. Eternity differs in nature from time. Eternity is an altogether different realm, a different mode of being. Eternity is God's mode of being, the realm in which God himself dwells. Boy, this guy had great ability just to take things and put them into concise language. Many people are confused by this word eternity. They commonly tend to think of eternity as being merely an immensely long period of time. Well, I do. Do you as well? Forever, forever, forever. Beyond the power of the human mind to conceive. However, this is not correct. Eternity is not merely the endless extension of time. Eternity differs in its nature from time. Eternity is an altogether different realm, a different mode of being. Eternity is God's mode of being, the realm in which God himself dwells. And uh, the Bible speaks of the tree of life, the tree of life, uh, as in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, uh, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord um, set cherubim at the east of the garden with their flaming swords and uh, to guard the tree of life. So there is a tree of life. Uh, the Bible also speaks of the book of life. As in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, letter to the church in Sardis, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess him before my Father and before his angels. So as we make declaration confession of Jesus as our Lord, 
uh, Jesus in his high priestly ministry uh, makes confession to the Father on our behalf as well. So the book of life, but also the water of life. Revelation 22 verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city. Verse 17, The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, that the one who wishes to, to take the water of life without cost come. Now I must say, confess this or acknowledge this. What I'm sharing today, I feel like I was one who was blind, speaking to those who are blind and trying to tell people how what sight is <laughs> and how it operates. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Um, that's how I feel. That's sort of been the struggle over this week, particularly um, glimpsing things, glancing things. We, you know, we only we just see in part. We understand in part. And how do we explain to others the little we do know and understand from the Word of God? Revelation twenty-two, verse nineteen: If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So if you have your Bible, you may want to turn to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Acts chapter 2. I mean, what is eternal life? Well, we understand eternity is a different dimension, a different mode of being than we experience here in time. But uh, this is Acts chapter 2 regarding Jesus, uh, his death. What happened... To Jesus, well, we know that his spirit uh, left his body and he went down into Sheol, Hades, the place of departed spirits. He went into both realms, the righteous section, the unrighteous section. But what happened to his body? What happened to his body? Acts chapter 2, and quoting from the Old Testament scriptures, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Therefore my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make, make me full of gladness with your presence. Now obviously, even though David was speaking, he was not speaking of himself but he was this speaking prophetically of Jesus. Brethren, I may confidently say to you that regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. So when the body of Jesus was in the tomb, it was not subject to decay. Now that's foreign to our minds, isn't it? Someone's dead, the spirit leaves the body, the body immediately begins to uh, decompose. But not so with Jesus. His body lay in the tomb and it, did, it was not subject to decay. Talk about life the life that, that God has. Um, so what is life? Well, it's obviously a realm that's not subject to death and decay. Um, Revelation 21, 
talks of the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and God himself will be among them. Uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, just imagine this realm that we are all heading for. Every tear wiped away. Uh, no longer any death. No longer any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. Uh, no need of the sun and moon. Just a different realm, isn't it? No need of the sun or moon. Uh, there's no night there. There's no curse there. Uh, read Deuteronomy 28. talks about the blessings following obedience, the cursings following those that uh, disobey the word of the Lord. Uh, we will see his face. Uh, there will be no sin. Uh, we, we can hardly understand that realm, can we? Or maybe you can. Uh, we, we, we believe it. We know what the word says is true. We're partaking of, of, of a realm, a dimension of, of, of eternal life now, not just one day in heaven. And yet, here I am struggling to put into words the little I understand about eternity and what eternal life is really like. But we will see his face. His name will be on our foreheads. There will be peace, joy, light, his presence, worship. Just an amazing, an amazing, an amazing, an amazing realm. Um, some of you may have seen the movie um, A Glimpse of Eternity put out by Ian McCormick, a New Zealand evangelist. He's actually a pastor now in the city of London, England. Um, but he produced this testimony of his life. It's like a, a movie, a full movie. Very good. But in recent days, there's another movie being made about his life and it's called The Perfect Wave, The Perfect Wave. And if you have, um, um, not Pure Flix, if you have perf Pure Flix, um, you, can, you can watch that movie, The Perfect Wave, and it's the story of Ian McCormick. And um, he, he was just a very worldly young man, traveling to the, the best surfing spots in the world, just living for the moment, uh, living a worldly lifestyle. And I think you can understand what I mean by that. But then uh, he had a near-death experience. In fact, he did die. He was out diving one night and he was stung by uh, some jellyfish. Usually one sting is deadly, but he was stung a number of times. He managed to finally get, get to shore and to the hospital, but there he died. And his body was taken, put on a, on a gurney and taken off to the morgue. And, and uh, during that time he had an experience with God. He, he glimpsed both hell and also heaven. His mother was a very, very godly woman. And so here he is um, before Jesus. And um, because he had prayed and asked the Lord to forgive him, he had a, quite an experience, an encounter with God uh, at that time of crisis. And the Lord was saying, well, do you want to go back? Go back to the earth? No, I don't want to go back. It's just what he experienced was so, so wonderful. He, he was a single man, didn't have a wife or children to care for. But then as he pondered that question from the Lord, he was thinking of his mother, his mother, godly woman, praying, 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 praying for the son to turn to him. And he thought, if I say I want to stay here, then my mother will not know that I've given my life to Jesus and she'll be grieving. So he said, I want to go back um, so he can bear witness to his mother. And that's exactly what happened. Just an amazing story. Well, today he's an effective evangelist having reached millions, tens of millions of people as an evangelist 
but now in London as a pastor uh, caring for God's people. Once we've tasted that realm or glimpsed of that realm, then all the reports I've heard, people don't want to come back, <laughs> usually. And Ian McCormick didn't want to come back. He was seeing, tasting, experiencing something that was just so amazing, so wonderful. Why should he go back? Oh, my mother. I need to go back for my mother's sake. And of course God has used him significantly to touch multitudes of people. So what is eternal life? Eternity. Living in God's realm of being, a realm that's without sin, without darkness, without all the things that we are familiar with on a daily basis. No pain, no corruption, no death. It's going to be wonderful, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely wonderful. So the second question is, what is the world? And uh, there are two Greek words that are translated often in the Bible as world. One is aeon, and the other is cosmos. Um, and as I've mentioned, the word cosmos is the word used here in this passage 14 times in John 17. Aeon speaks of an age, while cosmos speaks of orderly arrangement and by implication the earth, including its inhabitants. Ages are limited periods of time. Some have already run their course, while others are yet to come. And as I mentioned, this definition, among many definitions of the world, that mass of the world's population who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects the God of the Bible and so excludes them from their whole approach to daily life. So let's consider a few scriptures that talk about the world. Uh, the beginning of the world. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. I have an article here regarding the Apollo 8 um, moon exhibition. Ex 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 um, it's quite a difference, isn't it? Expedition. Um, December 24, 1968, in what was the most watched television broadcast of all time. Uh, three astronauts, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell and Frank Borman, had a message for the people on Earth. They had circled, took nearly three days, four hours off, three days to get to the moon, and they um, circumnavigated the moon uh, ten times in the next 24 hours. So here it was. Um, was it What day was it? Was it Christmas Day or New Year's Day? Um, they said, or William Anders, one of the three, said, as he broadcast back to the Earth, we are now approaching lunar sunrise. And for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send you. Does anyone know what that message was about? Just imagine, they're up there where no human had ever been before, circling the Earth, and now they're coming round to the light side, it's the sunrise, and we have a message. And William Anders said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What an appropriate passage. And he read the first few verses. And then um, James Lovell read the next few verses. And Frank Borman, the last two verses, eight and nine. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And then he concluded, 
in this broadcast to earth. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close now with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you and all of you on the good earth. Good earth. <laughs> what an experience it must have been to be up there and looking back in the distance. And I've got pictures here of their perspective, looking back at the earth. Now, interestingly, immediately that happened, Madeleine O'Hare, the founder of the American Atheists, uh, responded by suing the United States government, alleging violations of the First Amendment. It's in the heart of so many, this anti-God, rejection of God as creator and redeemer. And uh, that was rejected, uh, was submitted to a three-judge panel, panel, even to the Supreme Court, but they wouldn't see it. So her approach was rejected on three occasions. But it wasn't long after that that the Apollo 9, I think it was, landed on the moon. Anyone remember that watching it on te television? I remember it. We were on a Christmas mission in New Zealand, and uh, New Zealand in those days had three television stations, and of course they were black and white. And so we stopped what we were doing that day, and we were there up on the Coromandel Peninsula, and we watched the moon landing. Quite an event. Quite an event. But the beginning of the world. The maker of the world. Colossians 1, 15-17, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, beautiful songs we sang this morning about God. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking again of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And then verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, from the maker of the world to the ruler of the world. Many, many times, God, capital G, is blamed for what God, small g, is doing. You follow what I'm saying? Various tragedies take place. Think of Job chapter 1. Um, Today, those tragedies, fire from heaven, you know, all that stuff, or acts of God, capital G. But we know they were actually acts of God, small g, Satan, who is the God of this world, the ruler of the world. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, Jesus is being tempted by, by Satan. And remember, temptation is not sin. We do not have to confess temptation as sin. Only when we succumb to that temptation do we need to confess and repent. And he, Satan, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you wish it me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What a cheek, what a cheek, this created being, this fallen created being had to approach the Creator so I'll give you this. But Jesus didn't dispute that because when Adam turned away from God and disobeyed God, 
then that authority, that rulership was given over to Satan, who's called the God of this world. That's John 5.19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, the temporariness of the world. First John 2.17, the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And as we saw on the screen this morning, James 4.14, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. First Timothy 6.7, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And I think if you listen to the news or you watch TV news over this last week, last weekend a well-known basketball star um, uh, tragically died along with seven others in a helicopter crash in in, um, California, Kobe Bryant. Famous, worldly fame, no doubt much in the way of worldly riches. But our life is a vapour. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I'm amazed at what an impact that man has had and is having even now in his death because he was so famous as far as the world was concerned. Remember, Bill Hawkins was a preacher in our church in Australia. He was um, a retired apostolic pastor, 40 years a pastor. And then when he retired, he became part of the church that we were part of. And he was just a fiery preacher. He really was a great man. So he was in his mid-70s when he, when he said this one day, uh, you know, we leave everything behind when we go from time into eternity. But we take out with us what God's worked into our lives. You follow? We do not take out material possessions. We do not take out the fame of being this important or that important or being this rich or being this famous. But we do take out what God has worked in our lives as we follow Jesus and walk in obedience to him. So it was just that word spoke to my heart that particular day. What God does in us, what we allow God to do, uh, it's going to be on display for eternity in that sense, really. The temporariness of the world. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its worked works will be burned up. Well, the futility of worldly pursuits. Ecclesiastes, verse 1 or verse 2 of chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is Solomon speaking. Uh, it's a book I like to read periodically because it just reminds us of the brevity of life and the importance of putting God first. What does the word vanity mean? According to the dictionary, excessive prides in one's appearance, qualities, abilities and achievements. But the second meaning in the dictionary I looked at was lack of real value, hollowness, worthlessness. I think Solomon is one of the saddest persons in the whole Bible as far as I'm concerned. God gave him so much. God gave him such wisdom and yet he became so foolish, disobeying the Lord. Um, one of his wives was one of the daughters of Pharaoh of Egypt. I mean, the very things that God said, don't do, he did. And he had, we had a few wives. What was it, about a thousand wives and princesses and concubines? I mean, Ecclesiastes 2.11 or 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. 
Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labour which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Verse 17, So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. I mean, this man had anything he wanted in his day, anything that he could, money could obtain, riches could obtain, he had it. But he was saying, I, I hate this life. It's just futile. It's just worthless. Think of the, the term striving after the wind. Some of you may have met or known um, Jim Caruso who used to pastor at Oceanside Community Church. Jim is a comedian, just an amazing guy. He could, he could have a late night show on American television. You know. He's just a natural comedian. I remember one day stepping off the platform and he tripped. He said, oh, I've just washed my feet. I can't do anything with them. <laughs> you think, I've just washed my hair, I can't. He, he trips over his foot. Oh, I've just washed my feet, I can't do anything with them. It just, he was just full of humor, full of humor. But I remember him telling a story one day. He had two of his grandsons in his car, and the oldest one was giving the younger one a hard time. So he says, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Well, the older son was, was leaning over and going like this on the face of the younger boy. And so the younger boy's getting all upset. He said, what's the problem? What's the problem? The little boy said, he's taking away my air. <laughs> he's taking away my air? Oh, well, can we just take some of this air now and confine it to a bottle? We can't, can we? I mean, there's ways in which we can get compressed air, but we just can't take some air and just confine it. And all that we seek for in, in this world... Is this temporal world is just like striving after the wind, striving after the air. The distractions of the world. Anyone give me a clue to what some of the distractions of this world could be? What's that? Internet. Mm-hmm. What, what a difference the internet's made to all of our lives, right? And for those of you who are just a little younger, I mean... Most of us here grew up, no internet. We grew up in New Zealand, no television in the nation. We just had a little old-fashioned radio. We'd listen to um, a half-hour program, a comedy program. Every week the family would gather around the radio and, and listen to this little comedy program. We had to make our own fun. Yeah. Oh, Don't talk anymore. You're, you're telling your age by saying that. <laughs> but... Um, Mark chapter 4, Jesus told the parable of the sower. You know the story well. But it wasn't just a regular sower and regular soils. Jesus was really talking about the human heart. And some of the seed, which was good seed, which is the word of God, fell on the roadside, and we can liken that to the hardened heart. Other seed, the seed was good, fell on rocky soil where there was a shallowness of 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 earth, and so when the sun rose and so on, there was a shriveling and so on. Um, the thorny heart speaks of the cluttered heart, and the good soil speaks of the fruitful heart. So, regarding the uh, thorny ground, and others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches 
and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The distracted heart. And boy, we live in a society that's just full of distractions. You agree? Young people. Distraction. Young people, you know, on their phones in the night, through the hours of the night. I mean, distraction, 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 distraction. And when we're listening to so much stuff and watching so much stuff, being distracted, it's kind of hard to focus on God or even to hear his voice. The distracted heart. Uh, The wisdom of the world. James 3 talks of, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, we could say sensual, soulish, and demonic. But then there's the wisdom that comes from above. The love of the world. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. We live in the world. There are many things that we do uh, that we can enjoy, many natural things. And uh, it's not that we have to be separate from all of that sort of stuff. But this whole world system, this anti-God, anti-Christ, um, that's what the Bible's talking about and that's what we need to be separate from. Do we have a love for purely the things of time alone? Um, are the things of this world our idol, our God, or are they not? And then the Bible speaks of the end of the world. Second Peter 3, 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the Bible speaks of the world that is to come. For most people, the only heaven they will experience is what they experience here on this earth. But thank God as believers in Jesus, we can have our good times here on this earth and enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy. But um, we are looking above. Um, Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem in the Hebrew is in the plural. Jerusalems. But we say it in the singular. Because there are two Jerusalems. There is the earthly Jerusalem. There is the heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And then, final thought about, well, the world. 
that we are not of this world. John 17, verse 14. Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. When I was reading this this week, I thought about this book. Has anyone read the book, The Heavenly Man? No one. You have. And would you say it's an amazing book? Absolutely amazing. Full of natural things, but supernatural. Here is a man, uh, one of the leaders in the house church in China, who spent many years in prison. In fact, he was on three occasions in prison. Talks about what he experienced, the tortures he went through. Um, he was a man who suffered, 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 suffered because he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He believed the Bible was the Word of God. And I think, I've got to read this again now. I read it every so often. But this man not only went through terrible, terrible, terrible sufferings, but he experienced absolutely amazing things. And I was going to read some of them, but I, I just won't take time. But on one occasion was the second time in prison. Um, he tried to escape through a window, <coughs> and there were guards outside waiting, and they just beat him so badly. They deliberately beat him and kept on beating him and beating him, breaking the bones in his legs. And so the, the, all the rest of the time he was in prison, he had to be carried everywhere, carried to the toilet, had to be helped to do things. He, he, he just couldn't walk. He just couldn't walk. So here he is in this terrible, terrible situation, and the Lord speaks to him to get up and walk out of the prison. Come on now. Can't even stand up without someone helping him. Can't even go to the bathroom unless someone helps him. He's in an absolute terrible mess. His legs are black through the beatings, the tortures. And yet God says to him, get up and get out of the prison. And so I guess he's helped up. And so many locked doors, so many guards. And as his friend was helping him towards the first door, uh, it opened and the guard was bringing back another prisoner into the enclosed area and they just went through there and it was like the guard didn't see didn't see and so he goes out and doors were just open and normally that would not be the case out into the courtyard where there would normally be I think 30 guards going out to the main gate and he's walking he's walking through this open area and guards are passing him, looking at him, but like they don't even see he's there. And there was the main gate of the prison open. You, you can relate to this, Bob. The main gate of the prison was open. was never open. And there's normally a number of guards there, but for some reason there was no one guarding at that moment. And he walks out through the main gate of the prison and quickly hails a taxi, uh, goes to a friend's home and asks for money to pay for the taxi, and these Christian friends quickly took him off somewhere, and there was a major manhunt around that local area because this highly uh, important prisoner had escaped from prison. And it was interesting, when the authorities did an um, investigation, uh, they couldn't blame anybody for his disappearing. No guards were blamed, it was just, it was just like it was supernatural. But here's a guy who went through so much, but he experienced a dimension that's just out of this world, 
experience things that just don't happen in this worldly system. Things that we could not believe. In fact, a pastor friend of mine in Norway uh, has on occasion traveled with him in Europe. And uh, my pastor friend speaks not only Norwegian, but speaks uh, English fluently, probably better than most of us. And um, yeah, he said when this guy wrote this book, he had to take out some of the stories in the book for the English audience because they would not believe what he had written. It's like David Hogan, who's been used, he and his elders in Mexico, to raise hundreds of people from the dead over the last number of years. David says when he comes back to America, he can't tell many of the stories of what God is doing in Mexico through his workers, through his churches, because the American Christians will not believe. It's not possible. There is a dimension which is beyond this world of the presence of God and the power of God. It's a room of miracles. And this man, it's really worth getting, the heavenly man, this guy's story of um, the remarkable true story of Chinese brother, Christian brother, Yu, Yun, Yun, sorry. <sighs> but what is God's ultimate purpose? Colossians 1, 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Well, part of God's ultimate purpose is that Jesus will be placed in that position again where he has first place in everything. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Chapter, uh, verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then Ephesians 2, 
But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing greatness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Not only has Jesus been raised up from the dead, not only is Jesus at the Father's right hand, but the scripture talks about us having been raised up in Christ. We too are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Now, we hear these things, don't we? Uh, we know these things are true, wonderful, wonderful truths, but how much of this realm do we experience? We hear and yet we don't hear. We see and yet we don't see. There's so much that God has to reveal uh, to us and it will take eternal ages for that to take place. So the wonderful thing is we come to Jesus. He comes to live within us uh, by his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives within us. The Father lives within us. The Son lives within us. Uh, we are joined together to him. And as Jesus is to be raised up in the coming day, we're going to be raised up in him. As he will receive glory and honor, we're going to be sharing in that glory. I mean, I'm talking about things that I, like a blind man speaking to blind. I, I know it's true and I rejoice in these things. I, I've lived most of my life as an adult, live my life to serve this wonderful God and because I believe what his word says, but uh, how much have I experienced? <laughs> how much have we experienced? There's so much more for us to experience. Um, just a couple more thoughts here. One is from an article by Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. You've probably heard of him, God's Ultimate Purpose. In this article, he talks about what sin has done, uh, what it's done to creation, what it's done to mankind, to the angelic creation, and so on and so on and so on. And then he concludes by saying, the perfect harmony that will be restored will be harmony in man and between men, harmony on the earth and in the brute creation, harmony in heaven and under all this blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who will be the head of all. Everything will again be united in him. And wonder of wonders, marvelous beyond compare, when all this happens, it will never be undone again. All will be reunited in him to all eternity. This is the message that God, that, that is God's plan. That is the mystery which has been revealed unto us. Now before that he talks about those that, that were non-believers and they're not involved in this. The devil, fallen angels, not involved in this. But for those who turn to God, uh, he's just giving a glimpse of the reconciliation, the harmony that is yet to come. So let me just conclude from a book, you may have heard of it, uh, the Book of Mysteries with Jonathan Kahn. Day 213. The Matrix. We were outside at night, as we often enjoyed doing, looking up at the stars. You began your life. You began in dark, your life in darkness. He said, in the darkness of the womb. It was all you knew, your entire life, your entire world. If you had been asked then to describe life, you would describe it as being dark, warm, and wet. And if someone tried to tell you that there was more to life, another life, another world outside the womb, a world of stars and grass, of flowers and faces, of sandcastles and setting suns, what would you have thought? I guess I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have been able to fathom it. But would there be a way that you could have known that this other life, this world beyond the womb, actually existed? What evidence would you have while in the womb of that which was beyond the womb? I don't know. You, said the teacher, would be the evidence. You, dwelling in darkness, yet with eyes made to see colours and light, with no ground to walk on and yet with feet made to run, 
with no air to breathe and yet with lungs made to breathe air and a voice box with which to speak into the air, uh, with no one's hand to hold yet with two hands made to hold and be held by the hand of another, you yourself will be the evidence of a life beyond your life in the womb and the world beyond your world. Your, your very being was the evidence of a world yet to come and yet we, you were surrounded by a much smaller world that was unable to answer what was within you. And this reveals, when you hear of a world beyond this world and a life beyond this life, when you hear of heaven, you're hearing of it as a child in the womb. Nev you've never seen it or touched it, and yet everything within you was made to know this world and to live within it. Your heart was made for a love that is perfect and without condition, a soul yearning for that which is eternal, a spirit longing to dwell in a place of no death, no fear, no tears, no darkness, and no evil. And yet you live in a world of imperfection, of corruption, of pain and evil, of darkness and the absence of love. And as it was in the womb, so too this world can never answer the longings of your heart or the purpose for which you came into existence. And every tear, every sorrow, every disappointment, every unfulfilled longing is just a reminder that you are not home and that you were made for something more, to be a child of heaven and that this life is only the beginning of the real life and the matrix, matrix of the world to come. And the mission, take all the unfulfilled longings, needs and desires of your life and turn them away from this worldly age to the heavenly. Let's just pray. Lord, you know we see in part, we understand in part, we read your word, we ponder on these wonderful scriptures and, and promises and we rejoice in them and yet how do we explain them? How how do we experience them? But we're tasting and we're seeing that you are good, Lord. Uh, we, we realize that the Bible talks about being enlightened, um, tasting of the world, good word, word of God and the, the, the power of the world to come. We're tasting of these things, but we haven't yet experienced them like we're going to experience them in the days ahead. Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to redeem us to draw him to himself and that through him we are relating to you and to the Spirit of God, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful triune God. And we just thank you for eternal life that we have received now, we are partaking of in a measure. But we thank you for the day that we will see you as you really are, face to face. And uh, what are we going to say? As the song says, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And so we thank you for the gift of life today, dear Father. We thank you for Jesus who came and was willing to suffer and die so that we could partake of this eternal life, this God quality of life. Oh Lord, let our spiritual eyes be open to see, let our ears be open to hear, let our hearts be open to understand, that we might more and more find ourselves being weaned from the priorities of the world and more and more joined to you and to your word and uh, people truly of two countries pilgrims on this earth, on our way to heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.